electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. I'm John Fortin. Here is what's ahead. Despite another inflation gauge coming in hot, markets don't seem to be bothered by it. So what's different today? Plus, do small names equal big gains? A five-star small cap fund manager joins us with five names to buy now. His fund is up more than 80% in a year, twice the returns of the overall market. And show me the money. Coinbase set to release its first report since going public. We'll take a look at what to expect following its recent roller coaster ride along with the crypto market. But we begin with today's rebound. Dom Chu with those numbers. It's losing just a little bit of steam, but not a whole heck of a lot. It's still predominantly green across the board. You can see here the Dow Industrial is up by 400 points, one and a quarter percent gains there. The S&P 500 now above 4,100, about a one percent gain there. And the Nasdaq has resumed the kind of underperformance spot. It's only up about one third of one percent at this stage here. But the Nasdaq composite still above that 13,000 level. We'll continue to watch that trade play out. Now, the mega cap technology slash Consumer discretionary slash communication services trade continues to be a focus. Who's buying what dips and where are they doing it? In mega cap stocks, Apple, Microsoft and Amazon. These stocks are getting a bid in today's trade. Amazon a bit more, less so, about one quarter of a percent of the upside there today. But Apple is still about 14 percent off of its record highs. Microsoft is about 8 percent below its record highs. And then Amazon is roughly 11 percent below it. So watch those names. They continue to be on shopping lists at various parts of the street. And then it's Bitcoin. Again, Elon Musk saying that Tesla will no longer accept Bitcoin as payment for its vehicles. That sends shockwaves through the entire crypto industry and the crypto markets. Bitcoin continues to be down about 10 percent right now, according to Coinmetrics, now below 49,000 per token. Some of the names in that ecosystem with regard to having Bitcoin in their balance sheets or trafficking in it, or maybe not so much, Tesla down 3.5%, Square off by 5%, and MicroStrategy down by 9% as well. So we'll keep an eye on those Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency-related names in today's trading. They are not catching a bid, John. Back over to you. Mm, Elon giveth and Elon taketh away. Dom, thanks. Now, what a difference a day makes. Yesterday's CPI number for April, the biggest inflation jump in more than a decade, sent investors running for the hills. So while the averages are shrugging off today's hot PPI data with their biggest gains in over a month. So are investors ignoring the data or simply bottom fishing here? For more, let's bring in David Leibowitz, uh, global market strategist for J.P. Morgan Asset Management, and Shi Chow, uh, final ed- financial advisor at uh, UBS Global Wealth Management. Good afternoon. She, so is it that this inflationary thing, I mean, we see the gas prices, we see the food stuff. We talked to Jane Wells about that yesterday. Is it just that it's a short term thing? Is that why the market's shrugging it off? Well, we believe uh, inflation will continue and it's going to be transitory. So we're still very much uh, interested in staying invested in the equity markets. And we believe that the equity rally has uh, more room to continue here. And David, do you agree here or you know is is there something that we should be paying more attention to because it seems like these could be catalysts perhaps to really push uh inflation that would would make sense structurally based on what's happening elsewhere 
So, you know, I, I think what's most interesting about the, the CPI report yesterday and what we saw with inflation expectations was that you saw this, this big um, upside surprise in, in the actual inflation report, but you actually didn't see inflation expectations uh, move around all that much. And so what, what that says to me is that investors are still very much of the view that this inflation will in fact prove to be transitory. But if this inflation is coming in hotter than a lot of people had originally expected, uh, that could pull forward some Fed tightening. And I think that that's part of why, you know, if you just look at today's action, the rebound in things like the Dow and the S&P, where you have a little bit more cyclicality relative to the NASDAQ, reflects this idea that we will see higher rates, we will see a bit more inflation. Uh, and that's obviously a challenge for tech, but a tailwind for those more value-oriented parts of the market. Now, now, she, we just saw these really strong earnings from big tech companies, which would suggest that they're a safer place to be, uh, at least because of their heft and their consistency. And we've seen some of the, the momentum names, some of the riskier tech names come down. So which do you go with? Do you go with the bargain hunting uh, in some of the cheaper tech names or do you go with the stability in the bigger tech names? Uh, you know, tech has always been a long term thing for us. So. Actually, at this point, you know, we want to, I mean, with the strong earnings growth, and this is great for mega cap stocks, but we still want to avoid over concentration in the mega cap stocks and perhaps look into some of the earlier stage uh, mid cap, small cap growth tech companies as well. And in general, you know, as we still are uh, positioning for this reflationary, for this reflation trade, uh, we think just outside of tech, it's small and mid caps. And emerging markets are great things to look at overall uh, so, uh, so investors can concentrate on a more diversified portfolio instead of focusing completely on tech at, at this point. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And, and David, so how much room do you think the, the reopening trade, if any, still has to go? Is all of that sort of priced in? How should an investor who's thinking about uh, how the overall environment is shifting play that in equities? Absolutely. So I think just on the tech point, we would agree, you know, it should really be a secular and structural allocation within portfolios. We would gravitate towards those names uh, that have more proven cash flows and more proven streams of earnings, given the expectation uh, that rates will rise during the second half of this year. And we really want to complement that, that very high quality tech allocation with allocations to things like financials, industrials and materials. You know, I think the back half of this year is going to see an improvement in the pace of economic activity. You're going to see inflation expectations resume their upward trend. And all of that is very supportive of, of value relative to growth. And so it's really about owning growth and renting value right now when it comes to building the optimal equity allocation. OK. OK, guys, stick with us. Let's pivot to the bond market right now. He teased it yesterday with the 10-year, but now we've got the 30-year bonds up for auction. Rick Santelli tracking that action at the CME. What's the demand like, Rick? John, a lot different than yesterday's really good A-minus tenure. This one goes all the way to the bottom of the class. We give it a D as in dog. And really, the, the main reason of that pricing, uh, it was that pricing was so sloppy. So we had 27 billion 30-year bonds completing a trio package of 126 billion of threes, tens, and thirties. The yield at the Dutch auction, 2.395, just a whisker below 240. Now look at intraday chart. You see the way the rates are rising up? We're done with supply, and even with this big concession that we've seen rates rise, price go down, they stepped up for tens. They're not stepping up for the longest maturity, which is very unusual, of course, because at 240, or just a whisker under, you're competing with inflation. You're getting a pretty good return. 
But many of the reasons why uh, investors aren't stepping up may be due to some nervousness regarding the hotter CPI and hotter PPIs today. Um, if I go through it, everything was about average, except for the bid to cover was a little bit light. There was actually some strength to this report. We saw the direct bidders, mutual funds, insurance companies, pensions, they were a bit above average at 20.1%, but none of those metrics could save the nasty pricing, meaning they had to scale back higher yield, lower price to move the paper. Uh, John Ford, back to you. Rick, thanks. And she, I know you said that you guys are taking a longer view, so maybe uh, you know today's bond news doesn't make you shrug uh, at all, but does, does this at all affect your outlook or your interpretation of what the markets have been doing this week? No, we're still sticking with our long-term themes, and uh, we want to stay with equity, especially in this environment with the rising inflation, and um, and also look into just again uh, not just technology, but diversifying uh, the portfolios. And if you're going to fo- focus on technology, uh, not over concentrate in mega caps, and look into small indie caps as well. Uh, David, in the look at small and mid-caps, are there themes in particular that you would emphasize heading into the back half of the year? So I I think that there are are two really big themes coming out of, or three big themes coming out of small caps that that investors should focus on during the second half. Um, The first is going to be financials. You know, the the composition of the financial sector within the Russell 2000 is far more weighted towards regional banks that will benefit from a steeper curve uh, vis-a-vis an increase in in net interest margins. So, So that's the first trend that we see in small caps playing out during the back half of this year. Um, The industrial story is really a play, not just on reopening in the United States, but reopening more broadly around the world. And I do think that you'll see industrial companies across the capital spectrum, capitalization spectrum, uh, do quite well here over the course of the next 12 months. And then the third is kind of reminiscent of, of 2020. You know, we still see a lot of value in small cap healthcare, particularly the biotech space. Uh, it's commanded a lot of attention given everything that's gone on with the vaccines during the past 12 months. Uh, but we think that there's still a tremendous amount of room for those assets to run longer term. All right. Some narratives there for investors to follow as well. Thank you, David Leibovitz and Shi Chow. Now, small cap names have not been immune to this recent sell-off. The Russell 2000 lost 5% since Monday, and the Russell 1000 is down 3%. So could the sell-off be creating buying opportunities in an area that hasn't gotten a lot of love? Joining me with some picks in the small cap space, Brian Smolik, the principal at Hood River Capital Management, portfolio manager of the Hood River Small Cap Growth Fund, Morningstar uh, five-star fund is up 81% over the past year, outperforming every major index. So, Brian, we want to hear your picks with that lead-up. You got five? Thanks. Yeah, the pressure's on, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I did throw up five picks. Uh, Kinsale, Telos, Purple, uh, Health Equity, and Love Sack. Um, talk about Telos first. Um, they actually report on Monday. So one of the great things about small cap is that it's more inefficient than large cap. So there might be only six or seven analysts that are covering it, and you can buy great companies at great valuation at the traded discount to the large cap comps or other small cap comps. Telos is a cybersecurity company. It trades around five times sales, 30 times earnings. And, um, and I expect on Monday due to uh, the, the activity and the bookings that they're seeing in the core business to take up guidance for the full year, 
the Colonial Pipe pipe Pipeline hack is good for their business. Hmm. They've announced some. They've they've announced. So what Telos does is they help monitor all the cybersecurity infrastructure for the U.S. government and and soon for corporations. They're rolling out two new products. Mm. So this Colonial Pipeline hack highlights the fact that that more of their 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 service offerings need needs to be implemented. Okay. And so I would expect an acceleration in demand for for their primary products um, uh, due to the current cybersecurity environment. Uh, a couple of the other picks I have are Kinsale. It's an excess and surplus insurance company. Uh, they're benefiting from a lot of pricing. Pricing's up around 15% or so because capacity's been taken out of the industry. There's been some margin, there's been some multiple compression over the last a uh, couple months here has been a rotation from from value to growth, and this is a right. growth name I think you want to own. It's trading yep. around thirty times earnings. Now, what about Purple? I mean, isn't this one of those mattress companies that ships out the mattresses? I would think with reopening, there might be more people going to stores and wanting to bounce up and down on the mattress. So, why would this be a pick <laughs> now? So, the Smolix did just buy three Purple mattresses. So, we're actually <laughs> a fan of the product. Uh, it, it has a great uh, polymer that allows you to to sleep uh less hot foam mattresses it's the only non-foam mattress that's that's really available they actually have ip around it they're selling both in stores and dtc so uh so really they benefit from from bricks and mortar stores reopening and they just reported a quarter that was great they just pre-announced upside on revenues and on margins i think it's going to continue for the rest of the year it's trading around 30 times earnings next year. The street has 18% revenue growth. I think they're going to blow it out. And hmm. it's because they have great products. They have a new product coming at the end of the year, which I also think is going to be good. Okay. And they just have a, a differentiated offering versus other mattresses. Now give us the quick, there's headroom in the market. Give us the quick read on health equity uh, and health savings accounts. Yeah. So, so health equity we like because they're really the biggest player in HSAs and and they benefit from from rates going up. So as as short and, and, and midterm rates start to move up with inflation here and, and generally reopening of the economy, their margins, which have been under pressure, are 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 gonna really accelerate and will allow them to exceed estimates of trading at twenty times EBITDA. So we think the stock works nicely from here. So and how, HSAs HSAs generally are growing. How how do you uh, kind of keep your head in small caps? In a market with this much volatility, what would you say to investors? I would say uh, small cap is always volatile. I've been doing this for 20 years. It's, it's par for the course. It's always something different that's happening. You just got to stick to your to your process and what you do. And that and us is knowing where the inefficiencies are and taking advantage of it and trying to be agnostic to the macro market factors and not and not really try to time those things. All right. Well, advice from a man who knows what he's talking about with uh, up 81 percent in a year, a lot better than the market. Brian, thank you. Yep. With Thanks. Hood Bye. River Small Cap Growth Fund. Now, coming up, Apple, Amazon and Google all hitting key technical levels. We will take a look at what the charts are telling us about where those stocks might be heading next. Plus, the sharing economy getting hit by the tech sell-off. Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Airbnb, all down 20% or more in a month. But some of them are better positioned for gains than others. We will tell you who. That's coming up. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. Is the recent dip in tech a buying opportunity or not? My next guest says the sector is tactically oversold for the first time since the pandemic started, but it might be wise to sell on any bounce from here. For more, let's welcome in Jeff DeGraff, founder and chairman of Renaissance Macro Research. Okay, Jeff, so let me get this straight. So if I'm already in tech, maybe don't get out right here. There's a bounce coming. But if you get in here, be prepared to get out real quick. Yeah, I think it's tactical, right? So we've got an oversold condition, and uh, that's really the first one that we've seen since the uh, COVID crash a little over a year ago. But the problem is, is over the last four or five months, we've lost really relative strength leadership. And so that's the bigger concern. We always try to push into and make sure we're overweight leadership in the market. And really in the late June, uh, sorry, late January, early February, we lost that relative performance leadership out of tech. And so Oversold condition, uh, absolutely tactically, probably get uh, a bounce from here, but it's not a bounce that we'd be chasing. It's a bounce that we'd be fading. So you're talking tech specifically. More broadly, there are people saying that this is healthy for the market if tech is not so much a leader. So this is this is in a way playing the other side of that. I take it. It is, and I would I would agree with uh, with with that supposition, which is. 52-week highs generally are expanding, and that's a good sign, not a bad sign. It's very rare that you have 52-week highs on a net basis in the S&P 500 where they are today uh, at a top. And so I think that money has moved out. It's gravitated to other areas, obviously more cyclicality, a little bit more of a value bias, but that tends to be more healthy than not for the overall uh, and underlying equity markets. Now, when you're talking about tech, are you talking about tech as a sector or are you talking about tech like a lot of people think of tech as like Apple, Google and Amazon being tech, even though they're in different sectors technically? Yeah. So the relative performance that we talk about is specific to tech, though communication services has has broken down. And you can see that in things like uh, Netflix, as an example, which um, you know, is one of the probably the weakest of the FANG names. Uh, the 50 day moving average is about to cross under the 200 day moving average. It's broken support levels. Uh, once it breaks through 450, roughly, um, that would complete a pretty big top formation. This still could be a consolidation. So I want to be careful with that. But keep in mind that the relative performance of Netflix is really uh, stagnated for about nine months. It peaked uh, last summer and really hasn't gone anywhere on a relative basis. So holding Netflix, uh, you've actually been. Uh, not keeping up with the, the equity markets, which is important. Okay, so, so back to tech overall. What are the key levels that you're looking at now for the rest of the year to determine uh, how this is playing out? 
Well, look, I think, you know, more than levels, we look at, we like to look at equal weight. And so that's not going to translate exactly mm. um, with some of your viewers, but you know, keep in mind something like the 50 day versus the 200 day moving average, just some simple trend following technique. Um, you know, if that starts to roll over and like we said with Netflix, it's very close with Apple. It's actually very close with something like Google, Facebook. It's not close at all. Right. So I think you want to look at it uh, stock by stock. Uh, if the overall group says um, on an absolute basis starts to roll over, that becomes more problematic. It's already happened. If you use that same measure on a relative basis, that happened about three or four months ago now. So that's already happening. And we call ourselves incrementalists, right? That means as things start to deteriorate, we move out. You know, we don't make big calls based on one indication. We just sort of you know move in and out uh, as we see fit. And that, that would be the next level on, hmm. on tech would be that 50-day through the 200-day on an absolute basis uh, would be more problematic overall. So are you kind of saying that when we saw Apple dip, I think it was below the 200-day um, you know, earlier this week, might have been yesterday, that was just like one warning light on the dashboard? Yeah, the, the penetration of the moving average isn't as important as uh, some type of moving average cross. And what that does is it, it filters out some of the noise. What, what I really want to see is a good response to those oversold conditions, right? So if you get oversold and it's down there for maybe a day or, or two days and responds vigorously, that's a great sign. You're attracting buyers. What I worry about is when you have sort of persistent oversold conditions where the stocks can't react, that tells me then there's too much supply. Um, it's probably under distribution. And at a minimum, it's going to be underperforming. Those become more problematic. We haven't seen that with Apple yet. We have seen it with with Netflix. And that's why, you know, on a stock by stock, case by case basis, there are a few things that we're, we're concerned about in the, uh, the NASDAQ and tech overall. Okay. A nice look, a nice lesson. Jeff DeGraff uh, from Renaissance Macro Research. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Coming up, the colonial pipeline hack having ripple effects on several industries. We'll tell you where and what it means for consumers. Plus, PayPal doubling down on e-commerce with product returns. But will that translate into actual returns for its bottom line? We will debate the exchange. It's back in two. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to the exchange. Markets right now higher across the board. The Dow up about 1%. S&P right behind. NASDAQ barely hanging on to gains. But now let's take a look at some of the individual movers this hour. AMC is the big outperformer among the movie theaters, up double digits on pace for its best week since March. Shares of Peloton higher on pace for their best week since December. Remember last week, the stock dropped 15% the day the company recalled its treadmills. Shares have since recovered nearly all of those losses, down now 4% since then. And Disney set to report earnings after the bell today. That stock slightly higher right now, still on pace for its fifth week of declines in the past six. Disney CEO Bob Chapek is going to be on Fast Money tonight to recap the quarter 5.30 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You will not want to miss that. Now to Rahel Solomon for a CNBC News update. Rahel. Hi, John. Hello, everyone. 
More escalation in the Middle East. Israel's defense minister has approved the mobilization of 9,000 reserve troops in what's being called an exceptional call-up. An Israeli military spokesman also says that its forces are gathering on the border with the Gaza Strip. Publicity around the conviction and upcoming sentencing of Derek Chauvin has prompted a judge to delay the August trial of three other former Minneapolis police officers. They're facing charges in connection with the death of George Floyd. It's now set for next March. The change will also allow a federal, federal civil rights case to proceed before the state trial. New court filings indicate an associate of Matt Gates will be pleading guilty in a case that prompted an investigation into possible sex trafficking by the Florida Republican House member. It's an indication that Joel Greenberg will be cooperating with prosecutors. And prosecutors have reportedly subpoenaed a prestigious Manhattan private school. Dow Jones says that the grandchildren of Trump Organization CFO Alan Weiselberg attended Columbia Grammar and Preparatory School, and the subpoenas may be part of an effort to get him to cooperate in their probe of former President Donald Trump and his company. And then separately, tonight on the news at 7 Eastern, a look at why people are now moving into New York City after fleeing when the pandemic started. So apparently New York City is not dead. John, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you. The sharing economy's pain, crypto's no good, very bad day, and the big hiring blitz. All that and more coming up in today's Rapid Fire. But first, it's time for Show and Tell. We show the chart, then tell the story. Today's chart, Bumble, rough night out. The stock's down 15% on a disappointing outlook. But here's what CEO Whitney Wolf Heard said about it on Tech Check earlier. We are being cautiously conservative due to the nature of the pandemic. None of us, not you, not I, can predict what happens later this year around the globe. And so, uh, you know, this is certainly not signaling that we don't believe in the strength of our business. It is really just taking a cautious approach given the complexities of the pandemic. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar. It's time for Rapid Fire. Here to break down the headlines are Deirdre Bosa, Kate Rooney, and Steve Grasso. First, sharing economy stocks have been hit hard in this week's sell-off. In fact, over the past month, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, and Airbnb all dropped more than 20%. And they're in the red for the year as they each face industry headwinds. Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash facing regulatory supply and labor shortages. Competitions heating up for Airbnb as the travel industry rebounds. D, we got earnings for Airbnb coming up. What is it that Chesky even could say to change the way people are thinking about this? Well, I think that the way people should be thinking about this should be different from company to company anyways, right? You've got Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash facing a very certain kind of regulatory threat. And then you've got Airbnb, which has perhaps, you could argue, made a bit more progress with regulators um, over the years. But I think what Chesky has to do tonight is to reassure investors that they have the supply for this massive rebound that they've already seen and that they expect to continue to see for the rest of the year. John, you mentioned competition. Expedia has been spending big on their VRBO brand to get more hosts, potentially poach some super hosts from Airbnb. There is some evidence that that is working, but they're coming from a much lower base. So we have to distinguish between these sharing economy names. You're going to get much different stories from a DoorDash who doesn't know if demand for food delivery is going to hold up for the rest of the year versus an Airbnb, which has had more conviction when it comes to that rebound and their platform taking advantage of it. Yeah, Ken, I wonder if this market is changing for Airbnb. Like there are these hotel listings that you see on it now in New York and then the super host, like there's competition for the super host. It's not just sort of like an everyman thing anymore. 
It seems like it. When you go on there, you see, right, things like hotels. I think it has added some liquidity to the housing market. We think about owning a second home and the idea that you can rent it out. Although I know in San Francisco in particular, there are some pretty strict uh, restrictions on who can actually rent out their house. So I think that is something they could run into. You saw it in New York City. But one thing about the, the sharing economy that I've noticed and I've thought about recently is a lot of these companies go public, they have really been subsidizing some of the consumer costs. You know, if you haven't taken an Uber in a year, you all of a sudden go out to log on and prices have gone up. When that was a private company, they were able to sort of lower costs, acquire customers. I think a lot of us, even DoorDash, Airbnb, some of these companies that are now public and have had to raise prices, a lot of us are going to be surprised when we go to use those companies after the pandemic. Prices have gone way up. Yeah, now they want you to subscribe, Steve. They want you to get in. They want to get in that kind of prime bandwagon if you want the discount. Any of these names low enough that you think they're worth dipping into? So, John, I think the, the macro look for me is that you have to just understand what's going on here as, as you guys cover on a daily basis. There's this shift out of tech into value and, and, and out of that growthy areas of the economy. All of these names that we just discussed are in that tech slash growth areas of the economy. So even though we are restarting the economy, things are, quote unquote, going to get better. Blockbusters, people just tripping over themselves to do whatever service that they want. You're still going to have headwinds for these stocks because the valuation is off the charts. So, so to, your, to your point, no, I wouldn't be dipping any, uh, any toe in, in, uh, in those names. I, I do like Airbnb's long-term strategy and, mm. and prospects for everything that was just discussed, though. Yeah, okay. Well, now let's talk about you know, some rough prospects. Bitcoin having a bad day, at least. The cryptocurrency slipping nearly 8%, plunging yesterday in the wake of Elon Musk's announcement that Tesla is going to stop accepting Bitcoin for car purchases. Musk tweeting a statement expressing concern over Bitcoin's environmental impact, saying cryptocurrency is a good idea on many levels and we believe it has a promising future, but this cannot come at great cost to the environment. Other cryptos heading lower today, too. This is Coinbase is set to report earnings after the bell. Kate, it's hard for me to believe that Elon Musk just sort of discovered the environmental impact. But boy, just in the past <laughs> in the past hour, Bitcoin is down six percent, you know, shaving, what, about three thousand dollars off. That's one of the big takeaways is how did Elon Musk not realize this before? And one of the big highlights here we should focus on is he's not selling Tesla's stake. They own Bitcoin on their balance sheet. He's financially incentivized to help make this a greener proposition in the same way that Jack Dorsey from Square is. They put out a white paper and wanting to to make it greener and more sustainable. One of the things within the crypto community that's popped up is sort of the debate here of if Bitcoin is not environmentally sustainable, will others pop up? There's something I won't get into the weeds, but proof of work, which is the way that Bitcoin is mined right now, it's very energy intensive versus proof of stake, which is another sort of more software oriented version of doing Bitcoin mining. Ethereum, for example, is sort of moving towards that model. So it has kind of brought up this this green debate that's been there the whole time. You know, there are I, you mentioned on Tech Check earlier, there are certain things that could there are good things that could come out of this. It could incentivize some people to to move towards sort of a greener model of Bitcoin mining. But no doubt this has a carbon footprint and shocking that this has not come out or that Tesla 
has not gotten more criticism for this early on. Yeah, yeah. Cloud's got a carbon footprint, too. Uh, we're keeping our eye on the markets, of course, as always. We're going to show you the NASDAQ, which has lost its gains. I mentioned that it was right on the border. Now uh, it is down about... Mm, a tenth of a percent, a little bit more than that. It was up 1.6 percent at the highs. Uh, also, uh, let's see, uh, do, you, do you want to do that programming note now? Don't miss Jim Cramer's interview with the Coinbase CFO on Mad Money tonight while we're talking about crypto at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. Now, let's keep it with money and talk about PayPal because it's making another acquisition in the e-commerce space. Digital payments company is buying startup Happy Returns, which lets people return online purchases in person. This deal follows PayPal's $4 billion acquisition of Honey, the coupon browser extension, and its purchase of cryptocurrency security firm Curve for $200 million. Happy Returns brings the fintech giant into online and the physical retail world. So, Kate... Um, th this is PayPal continuing along that omni-channel uh, track that you could argue it's been on for a while with credit card swipe and whatnot, but this is definitely another twist on that. That's right. Things like QR codes. Dan Schulman on uh, the earnings call last week mentioned online retail sort of merging with physical retail. This is sort of the maturation of PayPal in terms of moving away from payments Things like returns that don't logically really fit into PayPal as just a payments platform. They're really trying to become the one-stop shop for merchants. And they said, I talked to a couple executives who said, this deal in particular puts PayPal in a competitive position. A merchant that's maybe deciding between Square and PayPal for some of these things might say, oh, well, you know, returns can be sloppy. It's often a, a headache for them. It's not necessarily a moneymaker for PayPal, but it's another reason for someone to choose PayPal over Square, for example, or some of the other options that are out there. But definitely a sign of PayPal sort of maturing into other markets. Um, but yeah, happy returns. I keep wanting to call it healthy returns because we have a conference called Healthy Returns. But yeah, different interesting thing. deal for sort of the <laughs> <Yeah>. future of <laughs> PayPal. Grasso, are, are we seeing uh, a, a bit of a different strategic direction here between PayPal and the likes of Square? I mean, Jack Dorsey's kind of hanging out with Jay-Z doing the title thing, talking about cryptos and Square <laughs> is getting closer to brick and mortar retail in this omni-channel story. Should investors pay attention to that? Uh, I was a shareholder in Square a, a long time ago. I actually bought it in the teens, and, and it was a very great, uh, it was a great investment for me. I'm out of the name now. But, but uh, John, I, I think the, the data processors are hitting headwinds right now for uh, the aforementioned issues about tech and growth. But if you look at PayPal, they have 20, over $21 billion in revenues that are coming from consumer finance. They're not changing their, their stripes. And I don't think Kate meant that. They're offering services to continue to hold on to what's been the behemoth in the space. So Square is really taking it a lot harder than PayPal. Both of them have headwinds, but PayPal seems to be the crowd favorite as of late. All right. And finally, McDonald's and Amazon are trying to get competitive in this tight job market. McDonald's is raising the hourly wages by an average of 10% for its U.S. company-owned restaurants. This is the fast food chain looks to hire 10,000 workers. Meanwhile, Amazon going on a hiring spree looking to bring 75,000 workers on across its warehouse and delivery networks in the U.S. and Canada. These jobs are going to offer an average starting pay of $17 per hour, reflecting its recent wage increases. D, I said Canada, so I'm going to come to you 
first on this. There's all this talk about how, you know, businesses can't get workers to come to work. Amazon hired a half a million people in 2020, either directly or as contractors. And now they seem to think they can hire even more people. Maybe benefits are part of the issue. Hold on. Uh, We got some breaking news out of the CDC. Let's bring in Meg Terrell for more. Meg? Hey, John, our friends at NBC are reporting that the CDC is expected to issue new guidance today saying that fully vaccinated people don't have to wear masks indoors in many circumstances, Uh, saying that this guidance is expected to come at the two o'clock White House COVID briefing that uh, the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, will uh, say something like this is the moment we've longed for, Um, uh, saying essentially that people should still follow uh, guidance of uh, businesses to wear masks indoors. But also in terms of outdoors, the CDC uh, will now recommend that fully vaccinated people don't need to wear face coverings in crowds outside. So this is a change. They, of course, John, just updated their mask guidance for outdoors for fully vaccinated folks. Now taking a step further, uh, apparently going to cite the information about the efficacy of the vaccines uh, in saying that in many circumstances inside, you also don't need to wear masks if you're fully vaccinated. John, back to you. Uh, Meg, I want to talk about this for a moment because it's like we've got this culture war that's happening about masks lately, whether you wear them or not, even if you're vaccinated. Is it as a courtesy to other people or are you just signaling in a way that's not healthy? Tell me how this has at least been working. The CDC gives guidance. Does that then tend to filter down to what states do and then what businesses end up doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the CDC is the chief public health agency of the country. And so many states do take their their signals from the CDC guidance and many businesses from states and from CDC as well. And so it's going to be really interesting, John, especially for the businesses side, you know, when they don't have the CDC saying that everybody needs to wear a mask indoors right now. How do businesses prove that somebody is vaccinated? I mean, there are so many complexities to this, and it'll be very interesting to hear how the CDC director actually talks about it at 2 o'clock today, how they answer these questions. Um, Because you're right, there is such a huge culture war around masks, which essentially has been going on for the entire last year. The nature of the culture war has changed, but the culture war has been going on. And so many people may not even feel comfortable taking their masks off, whereas others have felt comfortable for a long period of time. Now, and I guess the question is going to be, are you going to feel comfortable showing proof that you're vaccinated if you don't want to put your mask on? Meg Terrell, thank you. Important update. Now coming up, we've all seen electric vehicle charging stations, but what you might not realize is most have individual apps that drivers need to use to charge their cars. We will talk to the founder of a company that is working to streamline the charging process next. And take a look at the NASDAQ once again, turning negative into afternoon trading. Pinduoduo, Tesla, and Zoom are the biggest losers right now. We'll be right back. EV stocks having a draining month. Tesla and Blink down more than 20% and Workhouse, Workhorse down more than 40 uh, One thing holding them back is what The Verge is calling America's broken EV charging system. It's also the number one reason why roughly 20% of EV owners in California switch back to gas-powered vehicles. That's according to a study by the University of California, Davis. Aaron Fisher decided to do something about this. He is the co-founder and CEO of EV Passport, building a no-app, open-to-anyone charging network. He was featured in that Verge article. Joins me now. Aaron, how does this business work? I understand the need for it, but how much is this like gas stations? And uh, I guess you want to be the trusted provider that makes it easy for people? 
That's exactly right. So when it comes to getting gas right now, you can easily walk up as a driver and pay in order to obtain that and fill that into your vehicle. When it comes to filling an electric car right now, it's like imagine if when you went to a gas station, you had to have a separate application, a separate account, and a separate topped up balance for every single major gas network. And that's exactly what it's like charging an electric car in America with every network that's not EV Passport. So the business model here, do you actually get the power from the landlord, build out the charging system, and then somehow the, the landlord gets a share of what's charged or, or you're taking the risk that people are actually going to use it? How does that work? So EV Passport is a hardware and software company. We sell to businesses of all shapes and sizes, whether they're hospitality, apartments, condominiums, uh, universities, retailer, parking operators. And what we do is when we install the hardware and have the software on it, it allows them to engage and provide a better experience for their customers when they come to charge their vehicle. And then at the end of every month, the owner operator receives a direct deposit for their earnings. Okay. How many, how much usage, what kind of volume do you need for this to be profitable? Uh, To be profitable right now, it's really focused on getting them out there. You know, the average increase year over year for electric vehicle sales is 40 to 60 percent, and it only continues to climb, especially as the rate of gas continues to go up and carbon emission goals continue to get stricter. And so right now, it's really about creating infrastructure engagement. And you have, in my opinion, every space that doesn't have an EV charger is opportunity space Hmm. for a business in order to create value, especially as we emerge from COVID. So in a way... Uh, Would you say you're a bet that the EV market is bigger than Tesla? I mean, because Tesla's got its own charging network. But if anybody else is going to really be able to grow, they're going to have to rely uh, on a network like yours. Right. And to be honest, when a Tesla driver goes anywhere else that doesn't have a supercharger, they also have to engage with those other networks. Uh, Are are there that many places like that? What do you think demand is really going to be like? How much of your demand is going to come from Tesla owners? Right now, you know, it's pretty even uh, because if you're a Tesla driver, if you're a Volkswagen driver, if you're a Ford Mustang Mach-E driver and you stop off at a supermarket or you live in an apartment building where there are are chargers, you know, you don't really have a choice on what you're using. It's really based around where you go. And we've actually seen a lot of users start to really create behavior change. And they're actually making decisions on where they go Hmm. based off of if there's chargers and if there's not chargers and what the experience looks like for them. How important are low interest rates to what you're trying to build out here? I mean, it sounds like you've got some real capital costs up front, and then you got to you know, expect the volume to come as EVs scale up. Well, what's important to highlight is we sell the chargers to the businesses. So once we sell the chargers to the business and it gets installed, mm. it's all opportunity from there. Now, what is also important to highlight is that there are various government programs at the state level that will actually pay for not only the hardware, but also the installation. And so with our prices, we start at $999 for a revenue-generating charger for a business, where ChargePoint, for example, starts at $4,000 for a business. So when New York State comes and says, we're going to give you, a parking operator, $4,000 with our hardware and software, that covers the hardware and the installation for the business. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Aaron Fisher, thank you. Thank you. And still ahead, the Colonial Pipeline might be back online, but consumers could be feeling the ripple effects of the shutdown for a while and not just in gas prices. Our Frank Holland is in Georgia with that story. Hey there, John. A lot of frustration with regular gas pumps today, especially here in Georgia, where nearly half of gas stations, they don't have any gas. That Colonial Pipeline hack 
causing gas prices to rise all around the country. Coming up, I'll tell you how it's going to cost you money in other ways. That and much more on The Exchange. Gasoline prices climbing by eight cents in the past week as the Colonial Pipeline shutdown sparked fears of shortages throughout the southeast. Frank Holland is live in Georgia with a look at the widespread impact. Frank? John, nearly half the gas stations here in Georgia are without gas even after the reopening of the Colonial Pipeline. It's a situation that's continuing all throughout the southeastern states and now even beyond. North Carolina is still the hardest hit at 68 percent. Virginia, more than half of stations with outages. Tennessee, more than a third. And that spike on gas prices also continuing. Regular unleaded now more than a quarter higher than a month ago. Diesel fuel rising 71 cents over the last month. And it's fueling an increase in trucking rates. They were already at an all-time high. And it could really lead to an increase in price of things that we all buy at grocery stores and convenience stores because it's increasing the cost of shipping for stores like Walmart, Target, and Albertson. So you're getting these products uh, very quickly, even on a daily basis, uh, even a couple of times a day. And so that just exacerbates, if, you're, if your freight costs are going up, that just exacerbates that increase in, in pricing and overall cost to uh, get your shelves uh, filled. And trucking rates for just general goods, consumer items, electronics, et cetera, food and grocery and industrial items, they were all on the rise last week before the Colonial Pipeline hack. And they're already again on pace to shatter their all-time record that was set just back in March. No, John, I, 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 wonder, I wonder if you're hearing anything about, I'm seeing these pictures from friends in the southeast of people with pickup trucks with barrels in the back hoarding gas. Is that actually happening? Yeah. Um, that's 100% happening. I haven't seen an entire barrel, but like a lot of people have those red canisters you might use for your lawnmower and having in your garage. And I've seen uh, somebody run into a store, buy three or four of them, and then run back to the gas pump when you actually find a station that has gas, which is pretty rare. This one behind us had gas last night, came back this morning, no gas at all. Mm. Gasoline is the new toilet paper. There you have it. Frank Holland, serious situation, <laughs> though. Thank you. That'll do it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.